0: Welcome to that good sports Super Bowl hangover edition. I'm Brandon Perna here with Will Keyes. Super Bowl has been played. We're going to talk about the Super Bowl. Uh, A little bit of Broncos news. Well, big Broncos news that happened over the weekend with the Hall of Fame editions. And uh, yeah, I guess just kind of wallow in the misery that everybody feels after the not only was the Super Bowl, I guess, kind of shitty for fans, but the outcome was one nobody wanted. We'll get into that. Edelman worth the MVP pick. Raiders, do they even have a home? And a couple new head coaches in the NFL and Zach Taylor and Brian Flores. So they they call that a rundown, Will. I told people what we're going to talk about. I didn't oh, cool.
1: Now no, do no, you? I, now you guys know what we're going to talk about. Awesome. Okay, yeah, so big news from Saturday night before the horror that was the Super Bowl on Sunday. We actually had uh, something good happen this week, and that was that uh, Champ Bailey and Pat Bolin. Uh Bailey was on his first ballot, and Bolin, Uh it's been a long time coming, but they're both in the Hall of Fame. Uh, Steve Atwater and John Lynch, of course, didn't get in, uh, but... Champ Bailey and Pat Bowen joined. Uh, Kevin Mawai, Ty Law, Ed Reed, uh, Johnny Robinson, Gil Brandt. I know I'm forgetting somebody. Um, doesn't really – does it matter? It does matter. I think you but, got uh, them all. Maybe, yeah. Champ,
0: okay. Pat, Mawai, Brandt. Johnson what was his name Johnny Johnson Oh Tony Gonzalez
1: Oh yeah Tony Tony yeah. Tony Gonzalez by the way uh kind of going scorched earth on the Chiefs their whole fan base he, he's basically saying that like you know his years in Kansas City were great but like he you know the best years of his career were in Atlanta not that he did that much winning in Atlanta but he did at least uh-huh. win one playoff game which is one more than he did uh, in his <laughs> many years in Kansas City so I don't know. A lot of Chiefs fans turning on him too and saying that Travis Kelsey is better, which uh, I very much disagree with. But uh, they have the right to their opinion.
0: Yeah, I mean Tony Gonzalez was a—he was a great tight end. How many mm-hmm. years did he have? I, he played. I mean, he played most of his career in Kansas City. One, two, three, four. Four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12 years in Kansas City, uh, then five in Atlanta. That's a long career for a tight end, too. That's why you got all those it's a very records.
1: Long yeah, and uh, I mean, yeah, and the latter, the latter half of his career was less like, uh, you know, explosive tight end stuff, and more just like being old and and thick, and like boxing dudes out, dudes out in the end zone which worked really well with Matt Ryan. Yeah, I mean – But it's kind of surprising to see him turn on the Chiefs like this.
0: No, it is. His last three seasons were 80 catches, 93 catches, 83 catches for 100 – or, sorry, 875, 930, 859 yards, and they were all seven or eight touchdown seasons. So He was um, always
1: good, you know.
0: Yeah, no, he – looking at his numbers, uh, he was maybe one of the most
1: consistent tight ends ever like after yeah, I think he's, yeah second in receptions all time to Jerry Rice which is absurd thinking about a tight end you know a 100 yard or 100 catch seasons are uh, very unusual for tight ends and Tony Gonzalez I don't know if it was a, a matter of not having very many options in Kansas City or very frequently having bad quarterbacks uh, that check down to Tony Gonzalez as a security blanket a lot but. The man had numbers. Yeah, and I mean, by the way, he played basketball. Yeah,
0: and he played basketball. All of his thousand-yard seasons were in Kansas City. He had four that went over a thousand. Um, I I just remember being like very happy when he went to Atlanta, so the Broncos didn't have to play against him anymore. Yeah, and he was like, he was always like a safe fantasy football bet too. Nobody ever would yes. take him. He was always available. Then you pick him up and you're like, oh, shit, every week he's got, you know, six or seven catches, 70 or 80 yards, and then you sprinkle in that touchdown here and there. And that's uh, really – I mostly started following Gonzalez when he
1: went to Atlanta because I'd keep drafting him on my fantasy football teams as the old Mr. Reliable. Yeah, fun fact, I met his mom too in a restaurant in uh, San Francisco. Very fun fact. Yeah, I know. When I was there for uh, the Super Bowl. And we like, she didn't uh, you know, she'd have a shirt like saying like Tony Gonzalez's mom on it. Oh, cool. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so like me and uh, my uh, brother and dad started talking to her. It's like, oh, you know, what are you doing here? Uh, not in like that tone. Like, Man, what are you doing here? <laughs> <laughs> what are you <laughs> doing know? here? Yeah. Yeah, you chat next to the person sitting next to you. She goes, oh, well, my son's, uh you know, here. Because I think he had joined Fox by that point. Okay. Uh, so he's there for broadcast. I had my son's so here. He's like, oh, it's your son. is like, Tony Gonzalez, huh? Oh shit, he was pretty good.
0: Yeah, no, he was really good. Obviously, first ballot Hall of Famer. Uh, and yes. I, I like maybe like him even more that he started to fight with Chiefs fans.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, I, I'd say, uh, you know, keep it going. I mean, but, uh, his <laughs> the the equivalent there is almost like if Peyton Manning
0: started shit with Colts fans yeah I mean? really like he played the majority of his career there and then went somewhere else and had you know a lot of success for four or five years
1: so it's which just- is kind of like what he's done without saying it um you'd never publicly say anything bad about either of the franchises he played with right but, uh, I think you can get the sense that like he takes the Broncos more seriously as an as an organization uh than the Colts just something that John Elway did too, but uh, probably, <laughs> yeah, not, exactly. probably not the first one, you know, whatever. Uh, the point is that Champ Bailey made it in well deserved. Uh, Pat Bullen also, you know, long overdue, but it's nice to see them in eventually. So, uh, you know, we're, we're the first time we've had two guys go in the same year. Uh, and then who's who do you think the uh the next guy to get in will be if not let's say cross steve atwater off that list um not because he doesn't have a chance of getting in but like who's the next guy that may be retired recently or is still playing that you think will uh make it to the hall of fame
0: mm, yeah because i think the next guy is steve atwater uh whew, that's a good question I mean, Peyton Manning? (laughs) Yeah, I guess that's a good point.
1: I didn't think about that. That Probably
0: Peyton. Um, Because from, like, the Broncos' Super Bowl years, you've got Sharp in, you've got Elway in, they've got Zimmerman in.
1: Um, Yeah, it feels like uh, outside of Atwater, that, you know, well has run dry. Yeah, I mean, Rod Smith... Is an interesting player, I think. Well, Rod Smith is funny enough. Like he's actually come up a little bit recently, just because of uh, people debating whether or not Julian Edelman is a Hall of Famer, which is uh, a very, very dumb discussion. Uh, a guy who's got thirty, and I know, like he just won Super Bowl MVP and he's won three Super Bowls. Cool. Uh, a guy with thirty touchdowns and like no thousand yard seasons, no All Pros, no Pro Bowls. Uh, it's a little ridiculous to say that he gets in while guys like Isaac Bruce, uh, who's like top five in all time receiving yards, and Rod Smith, who, you know, won two Super Bowls in Denver, has sixty-eight career touchdowns, a couple all pros, a bunch of pro bowls. You know, he should he probably should be in because Michael Irvin's in with very, very similar numbers. Uh, but I don't he he was too low profile, I think. Um to get in at this point, at this late in the game.
0: Yeah, it's uh, – I mean, he's just – I think he's the closest player you could debate that, you know, maybe yeah. should be in. Uh, I don't know. what With Champ going in, the thing that was nice was, like, looking back at old Champ Bailey highlights because I kind of just, like, forgot how athletic he was, how fast – both how quick Champ Bailey was and how high he could fucking jump. Because he was, like, six foot tall, right? Six, he's, like, six feet tall? Yeah. Six, six, one, somewhere in there. But I felt like he could jump like he was, like, a six foot four wide receiver. It was insane seeing some of, yeah. like, the athletic plays he would make. And you're like, oh, yeah. That's why he, he had- was so good on top of, like, just understanding the game and being, like, a really smart corner. Um and the stat that you pointed out, his 10-catch season, he was only throwing the ball at – or his 10-interception season, they only threw to him 35 times? That's nuts. Yeah, I know.
1: It's ridiculous. Uh, yeah, no, obviously some of those picks came off of balls that were not intended to go to him. But Champ Bailey, I think, is the leader in the clubhouse for best makeup speed, and that's how he got a lot of his interceptions. A lot of makeup speed. Uh, the, three, the three waves that Bailey basically got interceptions were – um, He's just in the right place at the right time, which applies to everybody. Makeup speed was ridiculous. Uh, he burned Ben Roethlisberger like that a couple of times. Uh, just ridiculously acrobatic interceptions. And then there are plays where he would just run the route better than the wide receiver and catch the ball looking like it was the wide receiver. Yeah. And I'm thinking about, like, uh, a couple in that 2006 season, he runs this slant against Arizona. By the way, I was looking at his career, like, game logs – And he must have had like a third of his interceptions against Arizona because (laughs) the Redskins and the uh, Cardinals used to play in the same division for some reason, and they used to play twice a year. And he would just come up with like – he had like a three-pick game against Arizona his rookie year, like had a couple two-pick games, just like constantly get a pick against like Jake Plummer or or whoever they're tossing out, like Josh McCown at quarterback. And uh, had a two-pick game against Arizona – in 2006 and there's this one play where Matt Leinart was the quarterback at the point and um, Bailey just like runs the slant like a wide receiver and it looks like <laughs> Leinart's just like throwing it perfectly to him uh, and there's another one where like Matt Hasselbeck goes deep against the Broncos in 2006 and I don't remember who he was throwing to but like Bailey like <laughs> catches it in the end zone in stride like a wide receiver and runs out of the back of the end zone so like he just scored a touchdown.
0: That's pretty funny. Um, yeah, it just his his athleticism is like I think that's one of the things I remember quarterbacks talking about in terms of like facing him as a corner is his athleticism is off the charts, and yep. that yeah sometimes he kn- he like he knows the route the receiver's running, and it's just like no even. D- no reason to even throw in that direction because he knows what the what the other team's doing. And I think that's kind of like the similar reason. Like akeem Talib had a lot of success through his career is uh, understanding, you know, how opposing quarterbacks play and how his opponents play, and kind of just knowing those situations. Um, but it it wasn't it wasn't enough for him to help the Rams win a Super Bowl. So. Yes. And Champ Bailey never never got a Super
1: Bowl ring either, which is unfortunate. Yeah, that was very disappointing. Um they should give him an honorary one for 2015. But I think Champ is such a man of high integrity that he wouldn't accept it. Although he probably coached, you know, he's probably like twenty-five percent of the reason Chris Harris is Chris Harris today. We'll go with that. We'll say. Yeah, you know. Chris Harris, Chris
0: Harris said uh Welker, Wes Welker was harder to cover, but he was younger than Julian Edelman is stronger uh, and catches the ball better. In terms of comparing Wes Welker to Julian Edelman,
1: interesting. Welker will make it into the Hall of Fame. Uh, don't think Edelman should, but yeah, that's because uh, Welker had he like does play for the Patriots. He had all those
0: hundred. He had like those hundred and thirty yeah. catch seasons. I know.
1: Yeah, and he was an all-pro all in, uh, in New England like three times probably. But, yeah, he basically invented that position. Yeah, the slot. Like the, yeah, the white slot. Wide, well, I'll do respect to Brandon Stokely first. But <laughs> <laughs> That's uh, true. Yeah, basically, the original slot machine. Uh, speaking of the Hall of Fame, though, the Broncos are likely to play in the Hall of Fame game on August 1st against either the aforementioned Kansas city chiefs or the Atlanta Falcons. I like this, not because I I think it matters or I care, but um, it's just nice to like, you know, after a long, long summer to get one extra Broncos game that uh, 80% of the people on the field probably won't be playing on in week one. Uh, But it's, it's just nice. You know, if you, if you get like a, a young quarterback, it's always exciting to see him go like two for seven for, you know, 17 yards uh, and then watch those highlights like over and over again, just waiting for the regular season to start. I'm excited. Hopefully it's it's against the Falcons rather than the Chiefs, because if it was against the Chiefs, you know, it'd be like run up the middle, run up the middle, slant. You know, there'd be like three plays because no team would you know want to uh, give up anything from their playbook to the other team.
0: Yeah, it'd be weird to play a division a division opponent. Uh, the first thing I thought about when I heard they are probably playing the Hall of Fame game was like, "Oh, good, that's that's one extra game I have to cover next season." <laughs> that's the fucking video I have to make and pay attention to. That's a good point. And, it's and preseason. Yeah. Thank you.
1: Yeah, and it's going to be back to back with uh, two Broncos Hall of Fame speeches. Yeah, it's going to be a busy weekend next August. But I think it's fair to you know, put in a team with the most uh, Hall of Famers from that class. No, it Chiefs. totally
0: makes sense. It makes sense. Uh, it was nice that Bolin finally got, got in. That felt like a foregone conclusion. Yes. I was a little surprised Steve Atwater didn't make it. Uh, and I bet you were very surprised that Ed Reed was there, Will.
1: <laughs> but you yeah, were see, really surprised. Um, I don't really have an excuse for that Since one. when I asked you last week, you said no. I think we – yeah, no, I think we all get it. Um, okay. okay. Yeah. I confused – let me explain myself. I confused his retirement with Troy Polamalu's retirement, which I think is fair because uh-huh. it came a year after. Oh, uh, yeah. So, just drop it, Brandon. Just drop it. Just forget about it.
0: Man, Ed That's Reed it. was so good. Wow. Ed Reed was wow. – he was so good. He, yeah, he was good. He was good. He was so good. And – Out of all the the Hall of Fame guys, he looks the coolest. Like, Ed Reed Reed right now with that, like, gray beard he's got and the hat he
1: wears, like, he just looks like a badass. Like, I wish – Yeah, like, he's anywhere from, like, 35 to 85 years old. (laughs) Yeah. It's like you can't pinpoint anywhere close to how old he is just by looking at him. No. Ed Reed. Uh, Let's see. Zach Taylor. Uh, who was just brought in by the Cincinnati Bengals to be their first head coach in 100 years, uh, first new head coach in 100 years. A little – I don't want to say like Cincinnati fans are feeling buyer's remorse because I don't think you can pin that on one game. Uh, But (laughs) everybody who hired a Sean McVay clone, especially reaching as far as Uh, the quarterback coach on the Rams, not like, you know, Matt LaFleur uh, is a little bit different because he's been a lot of places and he was more than just, you know, the Rams offensive coordinator uh, two years ago. But Zach Taylor really was, you know, just the quarterback's coach for the Rams. And and now a day after his offense uh, puts up three points, I say his offense like it's all his, but, you know, the offense he was working on puts up three points in the Super Bowl. He takes over a team. Uh, a little dicey of a situation. I, I think the Dolphins are feeling a little bit better with Brian Flores, uh, because on the flip side, he calls the plays for a defense that just allowed three points to, you know, arguably the best offense this season. Uh, yeah, but I anyway, mean, I, yeah, I would argue that's
0: the Patriots' defense in the playoffs is the best Patriots' defense they've had. And I thought and I've always thought that the their defenses in, in the postseason ha, have been underrated. But the their course, first yeah. their first Super Bowl wins in the early two thousands, they were a, a defensive, like dominant team. But I think this defensive playoff run through the those three games was one of the best I've seen them put together. So yeah, if you're the Dolphins and you've got Brian Flores coming in after what you just witnessed. Like, you do feel like he, you made the right decision there. And I think the criticism towards Sean McVay has been blown probably way out of proportion. Uh, hiring the head coach, though, so you have to wonder, like, the reason Sean McVay got that job in L.A. was because he blew away everybody in his interview. Uh, yeah. They weren't, they weren't going into that thinking, like, they were going to definitely hire Sean McVay. We're going to hire came, the first Sean McVay. Right. Like they, they came out of it being like, holy shit, this dude is special. Um, so like the Bengals, like did Zach Taylor blow them away? I mean, he did obviously didn't do it to the Broncos. So right. I think that will be a highly scrutinized sort of decision. If he doesn't have success and he, if he doesn't have it quickly, and now you're looking at the Broncos going defense, defensive minded head coach, and you have to feel better about that. And I think what right. maybe gets lost with New England is like Bill Belichick is a defensive guy, and he just found one, a great quarterback to run offense, and, you know, Josh McV- McDaniels, who's probably, you know, over the last decade been consistently the best offensive coordinator in the league. So uh, maybe, hopefully, that's kind of what you hope the Broncos are able to put together with Fangio and, you know, going with your, your, your young, your young smart guy as your OC, as opposed to a really young guy who hasn't had a lot of leadership position mm-hmm. in the the NFL now having to lead an entire team. Like that's, that's where the, the risk is there for the, for the Bengals.
1: Yeah. It feels like it's as much of a stretch on the, you know, just, like, taking care of, like, the, all the responsibilities that a coach has because I think we lose track of, like, how much a coach has to oversee. Um, yeah. And I think Hard Knocks last year with Hugh Jackson kind of illustrated uh, how tumultuous that can get at times. And then just, like, having, you know, having to be the guy that, you know, speaks in front of 53 22 to, you know, 36-year-old 36 36 players. Yeah and not being that much older and like having to be the voice of authority with all those guys and having to you know punish guys who don't make it back for curfew or break rules or just kind of be like the disciplinarian around there and obviously the Bengals have had problems with that uh under Marvin Lewis too so it's you know it's it's a stretch it's dicey um I don't know if you know, the ceiling is not like a Sean McVay ceiling where he comes in he's just an offensive mastermind and you're kind of written into the playoffs every year. It's like if you're the Bengals, like you're happy to get like, you know, half of that with Zach Taylor.
0: Yeah, if you're the Bengals, you're happy to be 8-8 eight and eight again every year. Yeah,
1: but, you know, on the flip side, you could have Hugh Jackson or Vance Joseph as your head coach too. So, yeah. Um,
0: I don't even know why they would like – do they just do a courtesy and interview Hugh Jackson? I don't. A coach? Like, I, don't th-
1: I think they really like value guys that come from within the organization. Yeah, it's crazy. They're kind of the the Bengals are like almost the NFL equivalent of a cult, and the leader is Mike Brown. Uh, and like the 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 chief tenant of that cult is just like saving money, and. <laughs> Like The, the Bengals kind of just do whatever they can uh, to like promote from within and like keep guys on their contracts as long as they can, not giving people new contracts when it's cheaper to draft guys. Uh, but it looks like they're kind of breaking that mold a little bit, at least with the Zach Taylor hire. Who knows? Um, I'm not really privy to any of the details of the contract or anything. Uh, but, you know, we have to give him a chance, even though his – his team royally, royally sucked on Sunday.
0: Yeah, they <laughs> the Rams' offense was uh, pathetic, and it's. Yeah. I, I I mean there there's multiple reasons for that, but I think the biggest one is you know I think Jared Goff just was not ready for the moment, and I don't know. Oh well, yeah, yeah. I don't even know how good of a quarterback. Jared Goff really is. Um, We've seen him. We saw this last season, we saw him play really great football. And then I saw him play, like, pretty average football, but his team still dominated just because it was a really good team. And uh, I think, like, his fourth quarter interception and some other things we can talk about. uh, Yeah, we might as well just start talking about the fucking Super Bowl.
1: Yeah, well, yeah, on that point, too, like, golf was a really strange case this season because, obviously, uh, we gave him a lot of benefit of the doubt after um, coming back from a really terrible rookie season where guys kind of just wrote him off as being a bust, and then he comes in with a new head coach, and then we shift all the blame to Jeff Fisher because that's what we like to do. We like to put 100% of the blame on one person because that's always how it works. Uh, Has a pretty competent you know, second season, uh, and then comes into his third season and early on is lighting it up, uh, you know, early on when the Rams are still undefeated. Uh, they're running Todd Gurley, obviously, which is, you know, the main engine behind the offense, and they have an improved offensive line, and they get Brandon Cooks in there. And then there's that Thursday night game really early in the season where Jared Goff has the best game of his career. Right. And the Goff stock is at an all-time high, and it's really never – Uh, reached that peak again and it's just kind of slowly you know obviously uh, he had a lot to do with winning that NFC championship game he you know almost won it by himself you could say Uh, a little bit of help of course but it's kind of reached to that point again where the discussion almost comes up is like well if Sean McVay is that valuable and the system is that valuable uh, and the system is the reason why that offensive go- offense goes. And you've already locked up Todd Gurley, uh, uh, in a, and you you know you could lock up Brandon Cooks or whoever you want. Is it feasible to say, all right, Jared Goff worked well within the system, but rather than paying him thirty five million dollars a season after his rookie contract expires, draft a new quarterback? If the idea is that. Well, anyone can operate from a high level within that good of a system, and maybe not everyone, but you know, any competent quarterback.
0: Yeah, I mean, maybe, maybe it provides you that that flexibility uh, because I mean, what it look what it looks like, what it look like in the Super Bowl is that the Rams just were going to run whatever play was called essentially, right? And maybe Goff Goff has one play to check down to if they don't don't like the read. But he's not at a position yet where I feel like he's dictating anything at at the line of scrimmage. And maybe I'm Mm -hmm. wrong, but it just, to me, watching him in that game was one, he wasn't dictating, but two, like he was also missing reads for... Open players, and I think part of that was that the Rams had success so much this season with like taking the 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 deep ball and going throwing to guys who kind of like the way the Patriots get all the time, like guys get get very open consistently. I feel like in that offense, but he had pressure. Uh, the, the Patriots defense put more pressure on him than. Uh, I think he was used to because that offensive line had been so good this season. Uh, I think mm-hmm. it was the first playoff game they played. Uh, when they yeah, when they played against Dallas, like golf had like all day to throw. I felt like every time he dropped right. back, he could just sit there and find his guy. And when that goes away, you fi- you really find out like what your quarterback is made of. And I just kept thinking, you know, if Drew Brees was in this game, he would be having some success against the Patriots defense, even though it's playing really well. Um, and you, you have to imagine that Mark Ingram and Alvin Kamara would have had more success uh, than CJ Anderson and Todd Gurley ended up ha- having. The way they used Todd Gurley was weird. Uh, I really don't know what was going on with, with his knee. But the, the thing that I took away that Tony Romo said with the Patriots defense because the Rams' offense runs that sort of the the zone blocking scheme, right? The one cutback, yep. and Belichick coached his players to just go through the gaps. Don't don't follow with the blocks, and that like ended their their run game. And Goth couldn't open that back up for them through
1: through. through yeah, passing. He might have just he might have just broken the Shanahan offense. Like it'll just yeah. never. It's like that. Yeah. All right, guys, we figured it out. Just run through the gaps. Just run through the
0: gap and then yeah. you know disturb stuff there. And the other thing I think I think my biggest takeaway was that the Rams don't have a a big receiver to help out a guy like God. Yeah. Like Brandon Cooks part. was not coming down with those jump balls. Uh, he could have had two touchdown contested touchdown catches like we talked about in the recap episode. And I, I don't know if Cooper Cups would have been that guy either. But a big Julio Jones type receiver could have been the difference for Jared Goff because he—it looks like he needs a receiver he can throw to, regardless of he's covered. Like fucking Brady has with Gronkowski, you know what I mean?
1: Um, Yeah, and they don't have—they don't have a huge like playmaking tight end either.
0: No, I don't. Did a a tight end catch a pass in that game from the Rams?
1: Yeah, I mean, if they did, it wasn't anything significant.
0: (laughs) So it, you know.
1: I was expecting the
0: Rams to come out of halftime having some more success. They right. And I also, I also saw a thing that said that the Patriots' were, defense was in uh, a man defense 67% of the time this season, which they mm-hmm. ran it more than anybody else. And then this game, they ran 90% zone.
1: Yeah, yeah. Aside from Stephon Gilmore, who they said, all right, we'll, you know, we'll let you stay on your side of the field and cover your guy man-to-man. Uh, and obviously, that's like one of the big reasons. Like, he probably should have gotten better consideration for MVP, right? With the interception. Uh, but yeah, no, they went. They switched to ninety percent zone, uh, and like the Rams just couldn't adjust to that curveball the whole no. game. Like, even with the long halftime, like they couldn't figure out a, a plan to to break that. And I think I was actually reading a little bit before we started recording. Um, Warren Sharp on Twitter. Uh, has a really interesting thread about the Super Bowl that everyone listening should go click on. Um, but he was basically saying that the Rams, uh, to eliminate the Patriots' pass, pass rush, which I think we can all agree was, you know, one of the big reasons, too, that we haven't mentioned, uh, that the Patriots' defense overall had so much, so much success. You know, the way to combat that, too, was to go with uh, 12 personnel, which is one running back, two tight ends, and then have both tight ends blocking, pass blocking. And the three times uh, they did that, uh, Goff hit a 16-yard pass, I think in a, a 14-yard pass. And then the other time they did that was that Cooks throw in the middle of the end zone that where he's wide open. Oh, right. Uh, but Goff, you know, for whatever reason, like he he kind of just floated it instead of, You know, I haven't seen that play from a different angle yet, but it feels like if he had thrown a flatter ball, like a line drive, you know, that's probably a touchdown.
0: Yeah, that ball definitely floated and was, like, kind of wobbly. Yeah, that's interesting. And I think, like, that goes to kind of back up the point about Jared Goff is very good when he has time to throw the football. Mm -hmm. But it's like when he got disturbed in this game, and I'm sure throughout the season he's had pressure and – probably one of those fucking quarterbacks that's like oh under pressure he's the, he was one of the best like but for whatever reason in this game like it, it wasn't working and those right like as smart as Sean McVay is like that's the type of thing you expect him to notice during a game and be like okay let's keep that type of uh, personnel in here until it doesn't work and maybe that maybe they did notice but like i some of those passes, I think, were happening in the fourth quarter. Maybe it was just too late for them to, you know, right.
1: be effective with it. But <laughs> Yeah, no, it, it feels like it would have helped out, too, on that throw to Cooks. Uh, and maybe they don't have that play available with two tight ends. But uh, obviously, like, on that interception by Gilmore, uh, they keep in – I think it was Todd Gurley, not C.J. Anderson, but Gurley to his right. But they just have two free rushers on the right side, and Gurley has to basically pick. Yeah, he had to pick one. The guy gets in Goff's face, which obviously uh, affects the throw, and Gilmore, um, like we said in the video, like, could have just called fair catch essentially <laughs> and taken it at the five. Like he said, yeah. the interception he had all season.
0: Yeah, it, it was uh, – the Patriots just – they looked more prepared –
1: Not offensively. Yeah, I mean, yeah.
0: The Rams' defense, I thought, was they played better than I expected. Absolutely, yeah. Did Wade Phillips (laughs) might have called his best game as a coordinator, and it was wasted, like holding New England to three points for most of the game. Like, I feel like this. Here's here's the question: The Saints, I don't think their defense would have played that well. But I know I know they would have scored more than three points. Yeah. And I feel like the Saints, on a bad day, would have scored 17 or 20 points in that game uh, at the minimum. So it's like, do, would the Saints have won that game being in there? Uh, or would they have lost regardless because their defense wouldn't have done what, what the, the Rams defense did? And I say that knowing that the Saints had a, a pretty damn good defense throughout the entire season.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's hard to say. I mean, all you can say really with any sort of confidence is that it would have been a more entertaining game.
0: Yeah, I think the NFL rule with the the penalty, it should have been that Drew Brees got to play in the Super Bowl, but with the Rams.
1: Yes. No, I think that's perfect. Um, because he, he could have. Yeah, like, he yeah, had- yeah, and you have to replace like Roby Coleman for – Um, I don't know, like, P.J. Williams on the Saints. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I don't want to turn this into, like, a fuck the Patriots, uh, the Rams got hosed by the officials, but that uh, that, that first quarter penalty against um, Nikhil Roby Coleman for tackling Rex Burkhead, Uh, it 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 just, like, it it kind of set the tone a little bit. Yeah,
0: and, like, I think... The Patriots didn't even score on that drive.
1: No, but that's a big penalty on a like in a field position game.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's what I was gonna say. Is if I think that would have put them in a third and very long. So if the Rams stop them there and get good field position, which was something they really did not have uh, hardly at all in that game, mm-hmm. you know that could have been a field goal. Um, it could have. It could have been a lot of things. The the Patriots punter too, he had a hell of a game. Was that was yeah. it, was Ryan Allen? Ryan Allen, like both yeah. punters played pretty well, but he pinned that ball within the ten. How many times? Like three or four times. Like,
1: yeah, I think I so. Waiting. Him and him and Slater basically.
0: I kept waiting for a special teams mistake to happen, and and it didn't. Uh, except, well, I mean, <laughs> Gostowski misses a forty six yarder, and you know. Greg the leg misses in the fourth quarter, but
1: yeah, the game uh, was kind of out I was but...
0: waiting for a bad punt, a punt return, a muff punt, but I, I mean that's part of the reason the game was so boring. Is yeah, the special team played perfect. Happened. The defense has played perfect. Right. The Patriots offense did just enough to eke out a win.
1: Yeah, which I guess that'll lead me to the next point, which is in a game where the defense was the story and Stephon Gilmore. I Okay, I would have said if the Rams – the way that game was playing out, if the Rams had won, I think the MVP probably should have been Corey Littleton. Littleton, um, And then I think, he, you know, there's a really good argument to be made for a couple of Patriots defenders. Like, I think you could have given it to Dante Hightower uh, or I think yeah. you could have given it to Stephon Gilmore. I think the easier pick would be – Stephon Gilmore, just because he had the game-sealing interception. Um, But, obviously, Edelman has the stats. And when we're thinking about uh, um, MVP in the Super Bowl, we're immediately drawn first, like, how did the quarterback play? Well, the quarterback played pretty shitty. He had 13 points in total. uh, So, it's probably not right to give it to him. And, like, all right, anybody else on offense? Uh, no, not really. I mean, Sonny Michelle had one touchdown from two yards, but uh, <laughs> that play was more like the result of James Devlin bulldozing the defense out of the way. Right. All right. Julian Edelman had 10 catches for 141 yards, and it didn't really feel like they led to anything because uh, it didn't make a difference on that. Um, you know, it set them up for a couple field goals, but uh, it didn't make a difference on the touchdown drive. That was mostly Gronkowski. Yeah, uh, it didn't set him up for that game-sealing field goal by Gostowski. It felt like a little bit of filler, just like something to do while, you know, no scores were happening. It didn't really feel like it affected the game. You, you know, the only argument, like, is he affected the time of possession in the Patriots' favor. Yeah. Which, I don't know if that's worth MVP.
0: I think, really, it comes down to, like, he's, like, the only guy you can remember – be, like making plays on offense yeah. throughout the game. And none of them were spectacular right. spectacular. It's like, oh you got he no. got nine yards on a third and seven. He got thirteen on a second and five. Like he was just the guy you remembered catching balls in the game because so little yeah. offense was happening both ways. Um,
1: right and I think we, we what we need to do is stop thinking about MVP in terms of who has the best numbers and think of like who affected the game the most yeah and who actually you know caused their team to win more than anybody else yeah and I mean
0: if like if you think
1: about it that way it's you know completely different yeah
0: Stefan Gilmore I think is huge because the Rams weren't able to throw the ball really at all in that game he had the pick. He popped the ball out of CJ Anderson's hand, uh, caused like the you know the one fumble that went out of bounds. Um, right.
1: I think if uh, a Patriot picks that up, I think Stephon Gilmore actually does win MVP.
0: Yeah. No, you're at probably point, right. You know,
1: like, yeah, they set him for, set him up for a touchdown. Yeah. Uh, maybe the interception doesn't even happen at that point though. If they score there, but
0: yeah, because the on the interception he got, who was in? Who was who was in on the blitz? Was that? High tower blitzing there, or I'm not. I forget. I, I don't can't, remember. I can't really say one way or another. Because whoever blitzed there was just as effective as you know him making right. Yeah, picks were just a terrible throw. Um, you know what the shitty yeah, see, is? Yeah. Like, if I think if Goff has like a stronger arm, you know, if he's like a Pat Mahomes or an Aaron Rodgers, mm-hmm. where they can be on their back foot and still sling it fifty yards. Like, I think in that situation, even with the pressure, they throw it deep and outside where Cooks actually has a chance to maybe even catch it in that situation because it looked like he had a half step on Gilmore, but it's an underthrown ball because, you know, Jared Goff isn't – you don't think of him as having this crazy arm talent. The other thing that's interesting, so that was a bad pass by Goff, and if you go back to the Chiefs game – where Mahome's had uh the running back wide open, yeah and he just overthrows him, it's like those are young quarterbacks just you know letting I think nerves get to him in, in a big game and not doing the right thing, like watching both of those guys play so well throughout the season and then see him make mistakes like that in the the postseason just it goes to remind you like it's fucking it's hard on that stage to be to be perfect, to
1: be really good. and It is, too. Like, And I thought Goff played like nails in the NFC Championship game in a tougher yeah. environment. Uh, I just don't think he could unlock whatever the Patriots were doing on offense uh, yeah. that was stumping them. And a little bit goes to the head coach, too. Like he can, And obviously, Sean McVay took all the blame, which a, a good leader does, but uh, a <laughs> little ricochet shot to Sean Payton there because that's what a good leader does. Uh, but – They couldn't, you know, it comes down to they couldn't make adjustments uh, and they couldn't figure it out in a game where one drive at any point in the game would have made the difference. And there's that. And there's the fact that Todd Gurley disappeared for one reason or another. There were spurts in the game where it looked like he was, you know, fine. Uh, and then he kind of came out, and then yeah,
0: and and his best
1: play gets called back for a no hold, right? Yeah, for a phantom hold. That that was pretty disappointing. Uh, it just like they can never get a rhythm. No, they, they could couldn't never get a rhythm offensively. They couldn't string any positive plays together, um, and it's just you know. It's funny how a zone
0: defense is really hard for young quarterbacks to, to handle.
1: It is. To, yeah, no, it is because it's a lot of um, anticipation yeah, and knowing the soft spots in the zones and knowing <laughs> where guys are going to pick up their receivers. Because once, you, once you're a vet, like, yeah. you prefer that uh,
0: opposing defense run zone because right, you know, yeah. you're going to know where the, the spots are to throw every time. And it's like Peyton Manning used to do it. Tom Brady, if you play, like, that's what I didn't understand about the Chiefs and the Chargers using so much zone against him, he will destroy you. Uh, It's, it's, but until you, until you learn, until you know what the defense is doing all the time, you're going to make mistakes against zone defenses. Um, And the, uh, what was I going to say? I lost my, I lost, I lost my train of thought. Oh, yeah. The, the the big thing, you know, they're talking about early in the game is how Wade Phillips was making sure Brady was confused pre-snap as to whether they would be in zone or man. So, right. uh, it's – I just wish – like, I wish I knew more about football to really, like, be able to understand, you know, a game like this. Like, why – really, why was it won or lost on one side of the ball or the other? Because you can – look at all the easy things, you know, a lot of yeah. what we talked about. But it'd be, it would be cool to have the the knowledge to be able to I mean, point out yeah. the little things like, it's oh, in the third quarter, or, this player right, right. made this slight mistake that you wouldn't have noticed, but that cost him yeah. 12 yard. I don't know. I just wish I was smarter is what I'm saying.
1: <laughs> it's generally not that hard to figure out whether the defense is going to be playing man or zone before you snap the ball. Uh, because, A, you can motion a receiver, and if the – defender follows the receiver that means they're in man. And then B like you can tell usually by the way they're set up like if they're close to the line of scrimmage and they're close to the wide receiver and their hips are square towards the wide receiver, uh, that means it's man coverage and if they're backed off and their hips are pointed more towards the sideline, that usually means zone. Right. But it's not really a matter of like you know deciphering what coverage they're in uh in terms of man versus zone, it's a matter of finding out like where do you throw the ball and like, where's the blitz coming from too?
0: Yeah. I don't know. I feel like if I was a NFL defensive coordinator, I would find a slot a slot corner who I can move around and have them be physical at the line of scrimmage with most anybody. There's always going to be exceptions. Like you're not going to put a guy on Gronk and try to, manhandle him at the line of scrimmage but I feel like all you got to do to take Julian Edelman out of a game is disrupt his timing with Brady and every even the Rams didn't do like a great job I saw Marcus Peters play up on him and just get like turned around at the line of scrimmage I saw Coleman uh get burnt like I don't know I don't know why you wouldn't like try to teach hand fighting basically at the right, line of scrimmage, yeah. all your corners and or safeties. Uh, even if you just have one or two guys to do that on specific matchups, because you're not going to need it to, to happen with every player, but for Julian Edelman specifically with the Patriots, you throw that disrupt that timing.
1: It really limits what Brady likes to do on that offense. Yeah. And the thing is like the Patriots have a lot of versatility on offense and there wasn't like a clear, matchup matchup for like a lot of guys on the Rams defense like Talib, you're always thinking well he's going to cover like the number one big bodied wide receiver and the Patriots don't have that so you're putting uh Tlaib on the Patriots de facto wide receiver number one wide receiver and that's Edelman and that's not really uh a matchup that's in Talib's favor because Edelman's quicker um he gets in and out of cuts quick like he's not gonna be like fighting uh, at the point of attack for the ball with Tlaib, he's yeah. going to be getting separation inside and outside. And now, Talib was on Tlaib was hurts. on Edelman early, right? Like the first yeah. two big passes
0: Edelman <laughs> caught were I think Tlaib, and I think they switched it. Um, I thought Marcus Peters actually played a pretty good game. I too, did too, yeah. Because they targeted they targeted him quite a bit, mm-hmm.
1: um, but yeah, they took shots against him. I don't yeah. think he was falling for the double moves though. No, because there's a lot of third, down, third and kind of longs,
0: and they took shots where he was in coverage, and he made a play. So, um, again, yeah, the Rams' defense was great. Defensive line maybe could have been a little better, but uh, it came down to, like, the Patriots' yeah. defense, defensive line both was more physical than the Rams' offensive line, and it's like they brought schemes and blitzes that the Rams' offensive line just right. you know, got confused and didn't pick up correctly. And that was probably, like, the real difference maker in that game.
1: Yeah, and it, it – like, for a while it felt like the Rams were just getting beat on the offensive line every play. Yeah. And Austin Blythe, who I think is the right guard, was just getting manhandled pretty consistently. And it's it's just hard to win. Uh on offense when you're getting pushed back two yards every time you snap the ball. Yeah. And it's the
0: the strength on their line is their tackles. And yeah, they, the, the, they're blocking as they're, you know, running out towards the the sideline and pushing the defense one way or the other. And Patriots is like, no, they have weakness inside and we can beat those matchups physically and disrupt that whole, that whole system they have. It was interesting. It was like, like, the shit we're talking about, you can just realize that nothing really that exciting happened in the
1: game. I know, yeah. It's like we got to find something to pick apart about this game because it was just a whole lot of nothing.
0: Dude, it and, was the easiest, like, highlights where I had to just find
1: shit. In yeah. terms of, like, I know there's hardly anything there. Yeah. Um, it's like compared to the last Super Bowl, like you had oh, so many yeah. plays that you had to put together. And this, this was like, you know, you can count on one hand. I was like, "Oh yeah, the Rams. It was that
0: uh, that big run by Todd Gurley that got called back, and the Patriots was that big pass to to Gronk that got him on the two or three yard line, and even that was like
1: like a what twenty four
0: five yard pass or some shit."
1: Right. Yeah. Those like it was two, pretty two standard big offensive plays happens in every Patriots game. It yeah. felt like I was you know convinced that it was going to be like a classic Patriots Super Bowl where you know there's not a lot of scoring for like 25 minutes, and then there's just like an outburst of scoring all of a sudden. I was I expecting
0: that. To happen. I thought the like second half Rams was going to
1: – Yeah, and you it see just that. never happened, and that was the worst part of it, I think.
0: Yeah, it was interesting. I, I Like, personally, I was fine with it. So, I was like, Brady's not doing anything. Like, I don't care. <laughs> I like watching the defense not let the, pay, the Pats do anything. Obviously, I wanted to see the Rams' offense do something. Uh, they just didn't – They couldn't get it going.
1: Yeah, so uh, what do you think this does to, A, like, everybody says, like, you know, after a team loses the Super Bowl for the most part, um, you know, no one really said it after the Broncos. It's kind of funny. It's ironic because no one said, you know, after the Broncos lost the Super Bowl, you're like, well, they'll be back anyway. Like, they're young, like, they're talented. They'll be back. And, of course, they are, like, the one team that comes back from losing the Super Bowl In the last like 10 years and actually comes back to win it. Whereas, like teams with, you know, the Panthers, the 2015 Panthers go 15 and one. They make it to the Super Bowl. They lose by two touchdowns, but everybody goes, well, you know, they'll be back. Of course, they'll be back. It's like, that's not how it works. Like, people don't hand out Super Bowls. Like, you're there. Like, you can't count on anything else aside from you're guaranteed 60 minutes then. uh, And then after that, anything can happen you might have a losing record, you know, next year, like the Panthers, despite going 15-1 and one the year before. Uh, it's just like nothing, you know, nothing can be guaranteed. Like I saw a lot of people saying like Sean McVay, well, he's 33. He can coach for, you know, three or four more decades. That doesn't guarantee anything about him coming back to a Super Bowl. Like it could just be that, you know, especially with a team like the Rams that you felt like they went all out on this season to yeah. win this Super Bowl. And they sign Indomik and Sue uh, and Brandon Cooks and guys on one-year deals or older guys like Talib and they get Peters and they're all in and they're trying to cash their chips right now and it doesn't work out and all of a sudden, well they don't have a lot of draft picks coming up and they're gonna have to pick Goff and you know Sue is gonna walk in free agency uh, and maybe who knows like McVeigh's the talent evaluator that can restock in pretty short order but i don't know that you know they're penciled into a super bowl appearance within the next like three or four years again
0: yeah i mean what they do this offseason is gonna be really interesting um i think i i let me i think marcus peters and Akib talib are on yeah they both are under contract uh but they're both in the final year so i believe like the rams could move on from either of those guys if they wanted to their top paid players are aaron donald andrew whitworth um yeah whitworth, Michael Brockers, uh so, and yeah, it, it'll be interesting to see what they do moving forward because they did go all in for this year. That was clear before the season started. How they manage the cap situation and limited draft picks. Uh, I'll be curious. Like, I, I, I think they'll be good next year, but there's nothing about them that says they're going to be better than they
1: were this year. Right. Um, and that's the I, team that barely made the Super Bowl.
0: Yeah, I thought the Eagles had a chance to be equally as good this last season um, because they were going to have a lot of their key pieces. You know, they moved some guys around, but for the most part, the the core w- was still there. But, you know, they struggled throughout the season and got lucky to get in the playoffs. So you're right. it's There's no guarantee unless you're the stupid Patriots. The Broncos, it was different because I think they had Peyton Manning at the time. That's why everybody yeah. expected them to be back.
1: And a lot of guys that – you know, won the Super Bowl in the last year. Their rookie contracts, like Trevathan and Malik Jackson, uh, that could just say, like, "Well, we won the Super Bowl. I'm going to go get paid now."
0: Yeah. The other thing the the Broncos had after the Seahawks loss was a bunch of their players were hurt and not in that game on at right. least on yeah. the defensive side of the ball.
1: So yeah, there are guys like Vaughn Miller and Chris Harris and <laughs> uh, like Ryan, and you know Derek, Derek Rolfe, Wolf man. who are like like. Yeah, we've never played in a Super Bowl. Like, we were there physically, but yeah. like C.J. Anderson, who's like, you know, technically suited up, like, yeah, they're still hungry for, you know, they're hungry to get back after that. Like, they weren't resigned at any point. And the guys that maybe were resigned, like, you know, Sean Moreno or Eric Decker or Monte Ball, like, they – or Julius Thomas, they got out of there quick. Right. And so, it did feel like a fairly new team.
0: Um. The, you know, what? I saw the stat about Brandon Cooks is going to make $27.5 million dollars next season. Yeah. And Julian Edelman hasn't made $27.5 million dollars in his career with the Patriots. Of course. Uh, that's like, that is another reason why the Patriots, I believe, are successful every single year
1: is because... They pay their players they, under the table.
0: Yeah, they find guys who are willing to play for less than they're worth. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, Tom Brady yeah. could have could have asked for you know max QB deal at any point over the last five years or whatever. You got Julian Edelman there, who's a key to their offense, whose <laughs> entire career just played for less money than the the value he's brought to that team.
1: I don't know, like I don't know if he is the key to their offense. Like they play. I'm not saying he's the key, but yeah. he's a big he's a big part right. of it. Right. I'm just saying, like they scored 33 points in the Super Bowl last year without him. Yeah. Without him or Brandon Cooks, for the most part. No, that's fair. But But like, that's the that's the reason uh, you know they they don't have to pay those guys is because they the guys know the guys on that offense know that they're replaceable, and like they prefer to have those guys. But they find the guys who if the price is too high are okay
0: to be under underpaid because they know they have the best chance of winning it. Same goes for
1: Jamie Collins. (laughs) Yeah. Oh well, yeah. It's over. It's over. Their, parades, we're done with their it.
0: stupid parades over. Their fans can keep beating the shit out of yeah. themselves on Twitter. And
1: oh AAF yeah, the yeah. is about to start.
0: <laughs> oh yeah, we're gonna work on telling you who you can root for in the Alliance, American Alliance Football, whatever the fuck it's called. I,
1: th- I think it's the Alliance of American Football. Alliance of American Football.
0: Yeah. Uh, I think, and Will doesn't even know this yet, but we are going to take next week off the podcast for sure. Maybe the next two weeks. I don't know yet. Uh, oh, boy. Need a break, at least a week break. Um, so there, there's that. And this episode's going up early. so That's
1: right. Double surprise. <laughs> <laughs> Not a surprise for me. Uh, last piece of news, really quickly. The Raiders of Oakland possibly of San Francisco, uh, eventually of Las Vegas. They're close to playing at Oracle Stadium, formerly AT&T Stadium. It's the home of the San Francisco Giants, whatever you want to call it. Uh, The Raiders just need that infield. They need that dirt infield, don't they? They need that, yeah. They need that dirt infield to underachieve. It's the strangest thing because they're going to go from playing in (laughs) – the worst venue in sports, I think, without a doubt. Um, maybe you could make a case for, like, I don't know, Tropicana Field in Tampa Bay. But they're going to go from probably the worst to maybe the nicest venue in all of sports. And it just doesn't feel like they belong there. Didn't the San
0: Francisco mayor say he doesn't support them playing in San Francisco?
1: I wouldn't be surprised. I'm sure the Giants don't like it. Um It's weird. It's just weird because I've been to that stadium uh, a ton of times to see the Rockies play uh, and just other, you know, various Giants games. And that's, you know, it's the nicest stadium in baseball. Uh, It's right on the water. Um, Obviously, you have the Cove right behind it. Um, It's within walking distance of a lot of really nice San Francisco attractions. Uh, It's a perfect place to, to play baseball. I'm sure it'd be a perfect place to play football if they did. Uh, they used to play some college bowl games there. I think Nevada and Boston College played back in 2010. Um, but, yeah, it, it's strange. It's just very weird. And you wonder why, like, if they couldn't get a done, a deal done with the 49ers, how are they going to get a deal done with the Giants?
0: Yeah, I feel like if the Raiders play there, it's uh, going to be – it's almost like a mean trick to play on the Raiders fans who have shown up and rooted for them in that shithole for so long. And they're like, yeah. we could have had something nice like this. And now you're taking that nice thing and putting it in Las Vegas.
1: Yeah. It's also a very windy venue because it's like right on the water and there's nowhere. Uh, uh, I can't think of any like football stadiums that are that close to the water. Cause literally like you can hit a home run right. and you know, there's the splash hits and everything like that. So it's not like uh, it it is like when people say it's on the water, it is on the water and you have that. It's on
0: Alcatraz. That's it's on the island.
1: Yeah. You got your geography. Perfect. Um, So yeah, no, it might not be uh, very helpful to the passing game or the kicking game, uh, but who knows the Raiders make it work. They make it work. I don't think they're, I don't think it's going to make a huge difference where they play. I don't think they're going to be all that good next season. Um,
0: yeah, it's just kind of funny, it's funny that three, three of the four L.A. teams don't have a, a home stadium right now.
1: Yeah, no, it's bizarre. It's um,
0: displaced. The displaced NFL teams are all in California.
1: Right. That being said, I uh, will probably try to buy a ticket to see the Broncos play there next year. Cool. Cause that'll be interesting.
0: Yeah, wherever it ends up. Uh, they should know by next week when we're not Let's doing the so. podcast.
1: Yeah. All right.
0: Well, I'm glad everybody listened to this thing. It was not fun at all to talk about the Patriots nope. Super Bowl again, but we did it. We made it. We made it.
1: We're finally at the offseason, which I know we're all looking forward to. We've got, and got the Oscars. We finally and, have stuff to talk about.
0: Yep, we got the Oscars, and then we've got free agency, you know?
1: That's right. And then uh, we're going to unleash uh, our mock draft 2.0, yeah. our 3.0, then our 4.0, and then eventually our
0: 5.0. Make enough, you're going to get some picks, right?
1: Yeah. No, you just collect all the right picks yep. you know, together and then count that yeah, as one draft. It. Called it. Yep.
0: All right. Thanks for listening to That's Good Sports Podcast. Bye. <laughs>